tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 14th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And this evening, we are bringing to you the fabulous Hyde Hall located in New York. But before we get into that, we want to make sure you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show, where to find us, how to donate, how to subscribe to the newsletter. And also with Christmas coming up, there's some great gift ideas there in our emporium as well. Maybe you need to pick up a mug for somebody. We have all different kinds of varieties of mugs and we have lots of great t-shirts and sweatshirts and all that great stuff. So make sure you go over there and check out the website. Also, we would love to get your feedback. You can email us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the shows or if you have a comment on a particular show, we'd love to hear from you. As a matter of fact, we have some feedback on last week's show, which was on the Queen Mary that came in from Rebecca. You want to share that with us, Denise? Absolutely. So Rebecca did let us know that she'd been listening to our podcast. She just wanted to correct a note that we had because we were talking a lot about, well, not a lot, but we had mentioned the ghost Jackie, which was a little girl. And so what Rebecca has, just listening to your podcast, Recently, psychic Kim Russo. And for people who don't know who Kim Russo is, if you watch any of the paranormal shows that are on the cable networks, there is one that is titled The Haunting Of, and then it's a celebrity, a particular celebrity. Kim Russo is the psychic who goes in with these celebrities to a house that they've lived in before, or uh, sometimes it's an apartment that they've lived in before, or maybe just some other place that's somewhere in their past that they've had a connection to that they had a haunting experience in. And they kind of want to go back and either deal with it or remember it, learn from it, what have you. And so she goes in with them. And I have to say, a lot of psychics out there, I think, are full of crap. I'll just be honest. I don't think there's a lot of legitimate ones out there. I've heard that the Long Island medium isn't quite legit. But Kim Russo, and of course, when you're watching TV, they can do all kinds of things with TV or whatnot. She seems pretty darn believable to me, and she does use her gift to help find missing children and that kind of thing. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, what Rebecca's going to tell us that Kim Russo said, but I tend to lean towards what Kim Russo might be getting. Okay, so anyway, she was on the Queen Mary, and with the information she got and records were checked, there were no recorded death or drowning of a little girl named Jackie. Jackie was brought on the ship by her father coming from a different country to start a new life in America. And while on the ship, someone took Jackie away from her dad, and he never saw her again. Jackie was not killed, though. So since she's back here haunting the ship, and of course you and I have our beliefs when it comes to children ghosts, but if this is something that may be caught in time or uh, residual, or we could be wrong, and maybe it really is a child, it would make sense that she'd come back to the ship because either she might have died there, we don't know. I mean, Kim Russo saying no, but maybe she's come back there because she is looking for her folks. Absolutely. And that's the thing, too. But but even though she was taken and he never saw her again, does anybody know what happened to her? Like you said, he she could have still been killed there, just not drowned in the pool. 
Exactly. And since she is coming back as what appears to me to be a young ghost or what have you, I mean, did she, did she die as a child then? I'm thinking that would be an affirmative. Oh. Because, I mean, why, why would she not be coming back as a, a child, you know? So we thought as we're coming into the holiday season that it would be fun to share some stories that pertain to the holidays or have some kind of Christmas theme to them. I have here a story from Lon Strickler's phantomsandmonsters.com website. And for people who know Lon Strickler, he is an expert on cryptology and different kinds of paranormal phenomenon. He writes, I received the following antidote from a reader in 2010. Mr. Strickler, I wanted to communicate with you a few strange incidents I experienced this past week. I am a collector of vintage Christmas ornaments and have done so for over 30 years. The day after Thanksgiving, I received a telephone call from a local auctioneer who had just received a consignment that included several rare handmade ornaments. The next week, I attended the auction and was delighted after obtaining several of these fine pieces at very reasonable prices. One ornament in particular stood out from the rest. It was a porcelain figure of a St. Bernard dog that was English and hand-painted. Each Christmas, I select my favorite ornaments for my collection to display on my tree. I was very proud of the new St. Bernard dog ornament and wanted to show it off to my friends and family. One morning last week, I noticed that the ornament had fallen from the tree and was laying on the carpet. The string that attached it to the tree branch was not torn, and I felt fortunate that the ornament had not broken. I just placed it back on the tree. That evening, I was sitting in the living room reading a magazine when I started to hear a ringing sound coming from the tree. It was like the sound of a porcelain bell. The sound lasted for a few seconds and suddenly stopped. About an hour later, the ringing sound started again, but this time it was a bit louder and lasted for almost a minute. I looked at the tree but could not tell where the sound was coming from. I just assumed it was coming from outside the house. I heard heavy footsteps coming down my upstairs hallway towards my bedroom. I got up, looked around the house, and rechecked the intruder alarm. I was in the kitchen checking the outside door when I heard footsteps rapidly going up the stairs to the second floor. I live alone, so I was very concerned, so I called 911 just to be safe. The police looked around the property to make sure it was safe. I live in a small community where everyone knows everyone else's business, so anything out of the ordinary is common knowledge the next day. The police assured me that they would not make a report. They soon left and told me to call back if I noticed anything unusual. I thought that was an odd statement, but I appreciated their concern. I walked up the stairs and turned towards my bedroom. As soon as I got to the bedroom door, I noticed it. The St. Bernard ornament was setting on my nightstand. Now I was freaked out. I've never experienced any paranormal activity, though I love to read about these things. Now it was happening to me. I picked up the ornament, walked downstairs, and placed it back on the tree. I looked at it for a minute or two and then noticed that two other ornaments were missing. I looked on the carpet, but nothing was there. After looking around for several minutes, I decided to go back to bed and look again in the morning. The next morning, I woke and walked downstairs. I entered the living room and immediately noticed that the St. Bernard ornament was missing from the tree, but the two ornaments that were missing the night before were back on the tree. I looked all over the house, but the ornament was gone. It has been almost a week, and the St. Bernard ornament is still missing, but there's been no further activity since it disappeared. I cannot explain any of this. So one has to wonder, was this ornament attached to something? Was something attached to it? Was the previous owner of the ornament insistent on keeping it? And that's why they kept moving it about and then finally just took it? We'll never know, but a very interesting story. 
If any of you out there have some Christmas-themed ghost stories that you'd like to share with us or paranormal experiences you've had during the holiday season, please let us know about them. You can email those to historygoesbump at gmail.com. Missing brains? Could the University of Texas, Austin, have suffered some kind of zombie apocalypse? As any fan of the zombie genre will tell you, zombies love to eat brains, and apparently 100 of them have gone missing from the university. The school uses the brains in scientific research and as a teaching tool. The brains were stored in jars of formaldehyde. So, is anybody else having visions of Frankenstein here? The answer for solving the mystery of the missing brains may be in the fact that the university was initially given 200 brains 30 years ago, but only had room for 100, so the other 100 were stored in the basement. Imagine rumors flying around the campus that there are brains in the basement. We imagine some ended up as peculiar decorations for dorm rooms. Of the brains missing, Charles Whitman's is one of them. He is the man who climbed the clock tower at the University of Texas and shot and killed 16 people in 1966. While keeping brains in a jar at a university for teaching may be considered normal, swiping a brain in a jar seems rather odd. Pull the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. <laughs> this day in history. Pride's Purge. On this date, December 6th, in 1648, the most significant event of the Second English Civil War takes place. Pride's Purge is considered the only coup d'etat in English history and was led by Colonel Thomas Pride. The grandees of the new model army planned the purge, which targeted anyone who did not support them. King Charles I had been imprisoned during the First Civil War and negotiated a treaty with the new model army and others to end the war. The king stalled negotiations and escaped imprisonment, causing the Second Civil War. King Charles I was recaptured in November 1648 and offered some answers to demands that were unacceptable, but the House of Commons passed the king's offers anyway. Pride's regiment of foot took up guard on the steps of the House of Commons and arrested anyone whose name appeared on a list he carried. Forty-five people were arrested, with 25 being released later before Christmas. There was now a majority that could form a republic. The king was charged with treason and beheaded on January 30, 1649. The monarchy was abolished, but all this was reversed in 1660 when a new parliament restored the monarchy and declared Charles II to be king. Located in Glimmerglass State Park. Sorry, my, I just got a lump in my throat. Part of the problem, folks, is that it's the Christmas season, and we're, we're like a lot of people out there. We enjoy a little bit of eggnog during this season, so we're enjoying some right now, which I just told Denise, this may not be the best idea when we're getting ready to do a podcast. Kind of leaves a little bit of a coating. <laughs> Located in Glimmerglass State Park, Hyde Hall is a limestone Regency-era mansion that reminds visitors of a bygone era. The park is just outside Cooperstown, New York, the birthplace of baseball and home to Baseball's Hall of Fame. 
Hyde Hall overlooks Otsego, I guess, or That's do you know how to say it? Otsego. Okay, Otsego Lake, which gives the park its name. James Fenimore Cooper dubbed Otsego Glimmerglass in his novel The Deerslayer. In the novel, he describes the lake as such. Quote, on a level with the point lay a broad sheet of water, so placid and limpid that it resembled the bed of the pure mountain atmosphere, compressed into a setting of hilts and woods. Of course, its margin was irregular, being indented with bays and broken by many projecting low points. As its northern or nearest end, it was bounded by an isolated mountain, lower land falling off east and west, gracefully relieving the sweep of the outline. But the most striking peculiarities of this scene were its solemn solitude and sweet repose. On all sides, wherever the eye turned, nothing met it but the mirror-like surface of the lake, the placid void of heaven, and the dense setting of wood. As if vegetation were not satisfied with a triumph so complete, the trees overhung the lake itself, shooting out towards the light, and there were miles, 75, along its eastern shore where a boat might have pulled beneath the branches of dark Rembrandt-looking hemlocks, quivering aspens, and melancholy pines. In a word, the hand of man had never defaced or deformed any part of this native scene, which lay bathed in sunlight, a glorious picture of affluent forest grandeur, softened by the balminess of June, and relieved by the beautiful variety afforded by the presence of so broad an expanse of Waterville. I don't know about you... But that makes me want to go see this glimmer glass lake. Oh, no kidding. And we'll take the camper. I mean, I, we've seen lakes like this. And as a matter of fact, the other day when I was driving to work, I noticed we have a lot of water, obviously, here in Florida. And there was a pond off the highway. And the morning was so calm that it looked like glass. And you could see there's like a little house that's on the edge there. And so you could see it reflecting in there. And I'd just gotten done writing the notes for this. And I thought, that's glimmer glass right there. Well, so many of our lakes are absolutely gorgeous that way. It's just like the peacefulness. And one of our favorite places to go camping, you know, I'm not joking when I say take the camper to glimmer glass lake, is over in Trimble Park and just sitting out and watching the lake. I could just sit there for hours. George Clark was born in 1768 to a family that was prominent, rich, and honorable. Well, at least his great-grandfather was honorable. George's dad was considered a villain who racked up debts he would not pay and left his wife with two young sons to run off to Jamaica with a mistress. George's great-grandfather had lived in the New York colony, serving as both secretary and lieutenant governor, and bought nearly 120,000 acres in the Hudson and Mohawk Valley. He returned to his native England, where he died, and was honored with a monument. George inherited his great-grandfather's land and decided to move to Albany from England in 1806. The man that we had just quoted earlier, James Fenimore Cooper, was most famously known as the author of The Last of the Mohicans, and his brother Richard Cooper owned land nearly adjacent to Clark's property. So Richard had been hired to oversee the Clark property. He died, leaving his widow Anne Lowe Carrie Cooper to look after things, and she and George became friendly with each other, marrying in 1813. A few years after that, George bought several more acres of land that ended up joining his wife's family property to the Clark property. In 1817, construction on a country villa designed by Albany architect Philip Hooker began. George picked a plot on a hill he had named Mount Wellington after a school chum to be the site for the villa's construction. What was supposed to be a quaint villa grew into a large country mansion complete with servant quarters and a farm complex. 
There are 50 rooms in all. The home was named Hyde Hall after the ancient seat the family had held in England. The home was not complete until 1834, and George sadly died the following year in 1835. So you can imagine how big this building must be because they started construction in 1817, and it wasn't done until 1834. I love that they called it that originally that it was going to be a villa. <laughs> you know, it kind of reminds me of the villas I saw out at Golden Oaks at Disney. It just goes to show when you tell an architect, have some fun. <laughs> like, well, maybe we should add this. I mean, because it's not even that it's, this isn't just one building. It's like several buildings that are all around each other. There's a gatehouse there as well that no longer is in use. But so you came into this grandiose gatehouse and then there's this huge mansion on the hill, which again... Some villa. Yeah, exactly. But how sad that he finally got it built and then he, he died. Well, doesn't that happen so many pe- times that people, you know, put things so far out and then by the time it, it's completed, they enjoy it for a very short time of their life. Several types of architectural design and style are represented at Hyde Hall. The house was built around a central courtyard with the family area being built in a Palladian style. A second area for servants is larger than the family area in a simple style. And the third area is an entertainment area done in a Greek style. The whole home is considered to be a fine representation of romantic classism. The family area is called Stone House and includes Tuscan piers on the front porch, with the main area being two stories high and one-story wings on either side. There's a Palladian window with oval arch and five other oval windows. The interior is a smooth ashlar limestone. The second part was not officially named and has fieldstone on its exterior. The entertainment area is called the Great House and has Greek Doric columns and is very angular in shape. The rooms inside include a dining room, a drawing room, and a billiard room. To give an idea of size, Mount Vernon would fit completely inside of the Great House. Wow, that is absolutely huge. I, I, I just I mean, lost my word. It was like That's just the entertainment area. <laughs> you can fit Mount Vernon in. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In all, five generations of the Clark family have passed through Hyde Hall, when George died, Hyde Hall passed on to his son, who apparently took after his villainous grandfather, and that son threw his mother Anne out of the house. According to legend, she cursed the property, promised to haunt the property forever, and proclaimed, quote, May no other woman be happy in this place. End quote. This thankless son went bankrupt in 1886, and at that time his own son brought the property. Over time, the building fell into disrepair, and the state of New York took ownership of the building. Rumors that Hyde Hall was going to be demolished spurred Clark family members and other concerned citizens to form an organization called Friends of Hyde Hall. The building has undergone extensive restoration, and great efforts have been made to acquire original furnishings of the home. 
Some of that restoration includes the lighting, which consists of vapor light chandeliers that are very rare and original to the house. It is believed that they are the only ones in the world that function in the way they did in 1833, making them a treasure. The interesting thing is when the son had gone bankrupt and the family, you know, has turned things over, a lot of the furnishings got sold off at auction and they were able to go back and get these original furnishings because they knew where they'd been sold to and they went and repurchased them. And that lighting is a really big deal. I heard an interview with the caretaker there, and they have people from all over the world come just to see the lights to get a feel for how to do. Vapor lighting is still used to this day quite a bit, but the way that it was used in these chandeliers and how, I mean, they're very fancy. A lot of people come so that they can figure out how to do the same thing. And if you think over in Europe, they probably have a lot of these types of lights there and just trying to figure out how to restore them. It's kind of like these gas lamps that they try to restore in some of these older homes and stuff too, because they would have been removed to put in electrical, but it's the ambiance of having that gas lighting that makes such a difference if you really want to get back to the core of, you know, the heart of the building. And so uh, I would love to go see this just to see the chandeliers. And the interesting thing is, I believe he said that when they... They were like going through the attic or something, and they just happened to see them stored there. They couldn't believe it. It was kind of like finding a a treasure box. Isn't that funny how so many times the things that we just kind of push to the side or push here or there, somebody else sees it, and they're like, oh, my gosh, and it's just like such a treasure. And so to find those, I'm sure they were jumping for joy, and they'd just been stuck away in the attic. Well, anytime you watch American Pickers, half the time I'm like, isn't that junk? And yet, to them, it, it is a treasure. It's worth a lot of money. I'm like, it's an old rusted sign. Oh, I'll give you a hundred bucks for it. Holy crud! I need to go through my garage. <laughs> Do we have any? Oh, we just have your car sign, but that's not not old, not worth nothing. No, I mean, if I dent it up a little bit, rust it out a little bit, and then keep it for another hundred years, it might be worth something. Hundred years because it's Disney. So Disney sign rusted, awesome score. Of course, we'll be dead. Oh, maybe we'll be back. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I'm going to haunt my car's sign. I'm going to haunt this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is haunted because Denise is on it. Speaking of haunted, rumors of Hyde Hall being haunted inspired television's ghost hunters to host their Halloween show in 2013 at the location. They collected many pieces of evidence and had multiple personal experiences, but one piece of evidence stands above the rest and they describe it as thus, quote, Analysis reveals the strongest evidence of haunting, however. As Jason and Steve are in a bedroom, recorders pick up a voice saying, Head to the baby's quarters. At the exact same time, a bright flash of light illuminates the wall behind the bassinet. There's no source for the light. It's one of the most compelling pieces of evidence ever collected, end quote. Nothing malevolent seems to be in the house. An older man fitting the description of George Clark, the original builder of the mansion, has been seen walking the hallways in his multicolored robe. During restoration, tools were moved around in a playful way. And Carrie Clark, whom supposedly cursed the property, is thought to be in the home as well. She promised she would be back, so there she is, right? <laughs> Her proclamation about the women of Hyde Hall being left miserable seems to have come true because life at Hyde Hall for women was never good. One visitor to the home claims that he felt the presence of a woman and heard the words, get out. Footsteps are heard many times, particularly in the long hallways. Swirling gray clouds of mist have been seen and photographed, and people claim that they have been pushed. 
An old AM radio once stopped playing music, and a workman heard static in the words, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. Two members of the Clark family died during World War II. They had both been pilots and crashed their planes, one of whom was female. The piano has been heard playing in the drawing room when no one else is there. There is a family crypt on the property as well, and apparently it is quite haunted. James Fenimore Cooper's grandson tells a story about a stay he had at Hyde Hall. He was in a room on the second floor in the back of a house, and he was awakened by the feeling of someone else in the room. He heard footsteps coming from a corner of the room, and the footsteps grew louder as they approached him. They stopped at the foot of the bed, and then his covers were pulled off of him. He reported the incident to his hostess, and she confessed she knew the room was haunted. It had been George Clark's dressing room. Hyde Hall offers daytime tours May through October, and during the Halloween season, candlelight tours are offered as well. Admission is $10. The mansion offers plays, musical performances, and lectures throughout the year, and it is a great location for weddings. If you got married at Hyde Hall, would you have a couple of unseen, uninvited guests? Do things go bump in the night at Hyde Hall? That is for you to decide. What a fabulous place to check out. Absolutely, and we're just barely going to miss New York. We're going to be kind of close to our anniversary. We're going to actually be in Massachusetts, so we could have almost had a wedding there. It's kind of striking when you hear that these homes were going to be demolished at one time. And how many homes have been demolished just because somebody hasn't upkept them? Well, that happens so many times, just like even in Denver. Remember, they ended up, they were going to destroy that one little church in downtown. And then they, they, the citizens, that's usually who it is, is the people rose up. And so the skyscraper had to be built around it. So it looks very, very neat. You have this little church. And, oh, yeah, and the, the, the Holy Ghost Church, right? Isn't um, that what it's called? I don't know what the name of it is, but... But remember, they, the, the, yeah, the building is, is kind of like yeah, a U. built right around it, and the church is like right there in the U. Yeah, and so, but I think that was citizens coming forward and saying, no, here at Hyde Hall, same thing. You know, it was the people who came up and said, uh-uh, we want to keep it. The grave that was in the middle of the street, same thing. So That is true. As a matter of fact, Denise, I'm just Googling this really quick, and it is indeed the Holy Ghost Catholic Church. And 1999 Broadway is currently the fourth tallest building in Denver. It's got 43 stories. The north side of the building curves around a historic Catholic church built in the 1920s, surrounding the church on three sides. See, I do pay attention when we walk through cities, and you thought I was just looking at the shops. (laughs) Indeed. Speaking of looking at shops and cities... We are getting ready for a very fun trip this weekend. We're heading to St. Augustine, Florida. We've been talking about it a lot here on the show, asking if you guys wanted to come on the ghost tours with us. We didn't have any takers this time, which we had a feeling would happen since it is so close to Christmas. A lot of people have Christmas parties and... It's a little bit harder to get away from work and that kind of thing. But uh, we will be bringing you part of whatever ghost tour. Well, actually, I already know what ghost tour we're going to do there. But whatever we happen to look at, we did not know ahead of time. But apparently, we are going to go into a haunted location, one that we've never been inside before there. We've only been to the outside of it. And so I'm interested to find out more about the building. I did not realize that the building was haunted. What the building is named for is a very peculiar tree that was planted outside of it, or I should say two trees that were planted outside of it that have grown together. It's a palm tree and I believe a live oak. I'm, I'm not for I don't sure on that, but I know one, one of them is yeah. a palm tree for sure. And it's like the palm tree's grown up through the oak. And so they call it the love tree because 
not only did a husband and wife, I believe, plant those, but, you know, you don't usually see two trees growing together like that. And so apparently we get to go inside that building. So we'll bring you news about that. I know we're going to visit a couple of cemeteries and that kind of thing. So next show, we'll be focusing on some locations in St. Augustine. And the other really cool thing about this particular ghost tour that we're going on is that Rafiki, our little furry family, is going with us. So they do allow well-behaved, well, in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to tell them she's well-behaved. Well-behaved dogs to go as well. So this will be Rafiki's very first ghost tour with us. And so I think she's pretty excited as well. It'll be interesting to see how she reacts because, Mm -hmm. you know, dogs and kids can see things that we can't. So interesting to see if she picks up on anything. I know in the past we've gotten some interesting pictures. Generally, when we get orb pictures, we don't get all crazy about them because those are so, could be dust, it could be just the lighting, yeah, the sunlight, weird things going on. But we've gotten some interesting lights that look like, um, I know you got one picture the last time we were in St. Augustine, it looked like somebody took a fluorescent blue highlighter and drew across the ground almost, mm-hmm. and you got a picture of it. It's... It's an amazing picture, and our tour guide seemed pretty excited when we showed it to her. Yeah, so we got that one, but I'm I'm always the one, just for you, so that you all know, I'm an amateur photographer, but a lot of times things will be caught on film. So Diane, when we started these tours, was always like, go over there, take pictures, go over there, take pictures. So one time, the, the fact, two times ago, when we were in St. Augustine, the first ghost tour we took there, I'm away from the group at the old fort, taking pictures where there's supposed to be activity, and all of a sudden it occurs to me, if something happens right now, I'm probably going to drop my very expensive camera and run straight into the ocean. Here I was, away from everybody, all by myself, and I'm like, what in the heck am I doing? Diane should be taking the pictures because she's the one who wants to see the ghost. I didn't say I wanted to see the ghost. (laughs) Oh, she wants to give me to the ghost. I I just figure that the likelihood of having some kind of interaction is greater when somebody's by themselves. And, well, sometimes you just happen to be that somebody. Oh, throw me to the ghost. I get it. (laughs) I am looking forward to using a new piece of equipment I got as well. My folks, when they were out here, gave me a Christmas present ahead of time, and it's a little recorder. So it'll be nice. Hopefully, I'm I'm assuming it'll work better than the phone, which was what I used when we were doing the Marietta Mm -hmm. ghost tour. So hopefully this one works a little bit better. And you never know, Denise and I, as we've told everybody, we don't do the ghost hunting per se, but if I do happen to pick up something on the recorder that just in passing, well, if we do, we'll share that with you. Absolutely. And if I get any pictures, we'll be posting those on the website as well. Exactly. We want to thank you all for joining us this evening. Look forward to hanging out with you for the next show. This has been Diane. And Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. 
or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save 